Hey everybody, this is Phil Ledgerwood from Integrity Inspired Solutions, and you are listening to the Agile Bytes Podcast. This is a show where we take lean and agile concepts and break them down for you. So if you're trying to take your organization into greater agility, it's going to help you get buy-in. It's going to help you understand how to execute these practices, how to get the maximum value out of them. And most importantly, help you be empowered in your role to bring your organization into greater agility, whether you're a developer on a team or whether you're the CEO of a company. So sit back, relax. I hope you enjoy it. And we're going to get started. Hi, everybody. I'm Phil. I am actually in the room with Cora Cameron, who's doing the hard work on the podcast. I just get to talk about today's topic. And today we're going to be talking about retrospectives. The reason I wanted to do retrospectives for our first topic is because in my experience working with clients, I have found that if your self-improvement mechanism is working very well, you're going to be okay. Eventually, you're going to figure things out. I mean, it's good to talk to more experienced people and agile coaches who can help you over some bumps that they've been through on their own. That's kind of the point of this podcast, really. But at the same time, if your self-improvement mechanism is really clicking along, if it's really valuable, you're going to be okay. Your team is going to figure the things out that it needs to figure out. And so I kind of wanted to start with that and really help you get a good solid foundation for your self-improvement practice. Now I'm going to be using the term retrospective. Retrospectives are most famous from Scrum, but they're not strictly a Scrum thing. You can have retrospectives without doing Scrum. You can also have some other self-improvement mechanism, Kaizen events, Arcata, PDCA cycles, whatever works for you. You can apply these principles in general to most kinds of self-improvement practices, even if you're not a retrospective people. When I was kind of an agile baby and started doing retrospectives for the first time, I became a certified scrum master. And at the time, all you had to do was sit in a room while someone else talked for two days. I, I'm given to understand it's a little more rigorous now, but at the time there wasn't much to it. And what they taught us is when you're doing a retrospective, what you want to do is take your team and you want to go around the room and you want to ask everybody what's going well, what's not going so well, and what kind of changes should we make? So it's sort of like, what should we keep doing? What should we stop doing? What should we change? Or as I've heard it put in some cases, what makes you mad? What makes you sad? What makes you glad? And so when I started facilitating retrospectives, that's exactly what I did. And I'm not saying that those went exceptionally badly, but I did start to notice some things that I really didn't care for. One of the things was the very individualized focus of the way that format worked. Like we're supposed to be a team. We're a team that has a way of working and we're supposed to be discussing and improving as a team. But I found that that going around the circle format, it kind of led people to their own kind of subjective perceptions about what was wrong in terms of their personal experience. Sometimes it would even get a little whiny and unfocused. Sometimes it would even get accusatory and that got really awkward. It, it was more like, a, I don't know, almost like, like a therapy session really than a retrospective. And I'm not saying there's not value in teams having those kinds of discussions. And I'm a big fan of, of therapy, but for a retrospective, I found that it was very individualistic, it was very subjective, and a lot of times when everyone has ideas about what's going wrong and what you want to change, you end up with a pretty long list of ideas, which means that some of them are probably not going to get done. Some of them are going to be tasks added to someone's plate. It's kind of hard to keep track of, you know, the things that you talked about in the past, what you're going to keep doing. 
And so it's not that the, that format had no value. It's just it had some things in it that didn't seem really to fit well with a focused, objective, team-oriented way of improving themselves. It was more like a room of individuals just saying what they thought was wrong and, and what they would like for us to do differently. That was pretty hard to track. And when the retrospectives are that way, they can go on for a really long time, sometimes with no actionable items at the end. And so it just doesn't have a lot of value for people. And when this happens, people quit coming. It's just not worth their time. Or when the team is kind of under pressure, maybe there's a deadline coming up or, or a, a big production fix or something like that, you start looking for things to cut and you're going to cut the things that you think are the least vital. And I discovered that oftentimes the retrospective is, is what was going to be on the chopping block. It just didn't seem as important as some of the other things that we were doing. And even when we did do them, sometimes we just had people and it, it just wasn't important to them. They wouldn't show up or their attendance was sporadic or they would show up and kind of sit there and, and not really contribute. And I've come to find out that this is not an experience unique to me. Like a lot of people go through this. And if you're going through this, that's kind of what I want to talk about is what are some things we could be doing differently to sort of correct some of these tendencies to, to have retrospectives that people like to show up to and that are very valuable that are measurably valuable. One trend that I have seen to sort of combat this, and you'll see it a lot if you go on LinkedIn or just do a Google search, is this idea of themed retrospectives. Have, have you seen this? Cora, have you ever seen anything about this, about having retrospective themes? Yeah, yes, it's a nodding your head. Yeah, yeah, so what happens is, is that instead of just having the old boring retrospective that I specified, you give it some kind of catchy theme, right? Like it's a Star Wars theme and we're going to ask questions that the Star Wars movies remind us of, you know, like what if Yoda were our product owner or, you know, what represents the dark side in our organization? And, or uh, I saw one that was based on the Squid Games, which I think would be intriguing to see play out. People will, will do all kinds of, of interesting. I saw one just today, just this morning where somebody was conducting the retrospective as if they were planning a trip to Mount Everest. And the whole idea behind a themed retrospective is that retrospectives are boring. People don't like to come to them. So you got to kind of spice it up, right? Like you got to kind of like do different things to kind of keep the spark alive. You know, like we're all married and we got to throw in some crazy things to keep things from being routine, you know, and keep everybody excited and happy. And that's all fine. Like if, if you want to, you know, dress up like Star Wars characters for your retrospective or whatever, have at it. I mean, wh whatever works for your team is what you should be doing. And there's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong with, with changing things up. But I will tell you this. The reason people are not coming to your retrospectives or are not engaged in your retrospectives is not because they need more variety or they need like a Squid Games theme to really be engaged. It's because the meeting is not valuable to them. If the meeting were valuable to them, if they got something out of it, if it benefited them in some way, they would come and they would be engaged. What I've tried to do over the years is how can I create a retrospective that is team-oriented? Okay, we're all in it together, right? It's more objective than subjective, right? We're all looking at, at hard data. We as a team are confronting it together as opposed to each individual kind of kind of seeing things from their own island. And how do we end up with something actionable that we can measure on the other side of it that makes the developers or the team's lives better? Because if those retrospectives are actively improving their lives, if they're bringing more joy into their workplace, people are going to come. People are going to come to that. It's going to be valuable. So I'm going to tell you what I like to do 
with my retrospectives. Now, I'm not saying you should take exactly what I do and drop it on top of your retrospectives. One of the big problems I think that, that happens on people's journeys to agility is they take a pre-canned set of practices, they do those practices, and when agility doesn't magically appear, they get disappointed and then they go looking for a different set of practices and the cycle just kind of keeps repeating itself. You need to take practices and adapt them for your organization. You need to use things that work in your context. You need to be changing things, tweaking things. And the retrospective is a great mechanism for doing that. So I'm going to tell you what I like to do. You can try it just like I present it right out of the box. I think it's a great format. But what I, what's really important to me is that you understand why each piece does what it does. And then that frees you up to come up with something that works for you. And by all means, throw Star Wars characters into it. Have at it. I haven't done that yet, but you know, never say never. I, I did wear a horse head mask one time, but that was one time, one time. So what I like to do in the beginning of the retrospective is start out in a, in a stage that I call review where we review past retrospective items, experiments that we were wanting to run. And we look at the team's metrics. Are the experiments we're running making us better? Are they improving the things that, that we really wanted to improve? And we celebrate those wins. Celebrating wins is very important because in retrospectives, a lot of time you're looking for something to improve. And as a result, it can sometimes have sort of a negative feel to it, a very critical feel to it. And so we want to make sure the whole way out that we're acknowledging like, hey, you know, we've made some changes and it's actually going pretty well. You know, here's some areas that are maybe not going so well, but things are, things are going very well in these other areas. So the initial time is a good time to do that. But the centerpiece is the metrics because the metrics are what make it objective. We can't argue with our team's metrics. So we're looking at things like cycle time and throughput. We're looking at our cumulative flow diagrams to see like where things are kind of getting a little bottlenecky in our process where we've got too much work coming in and where we don't have enough work leaving. Uh, what places are starved for work? What, what places are overworked? You know, these are things that the metrics tell us and they're not really dependent on anyone's particular opinion or perception. So now the team has kind of a, for lack of a better word, kind of a, a common, maybe not a common enemy, but a common vision of reality. Like we all, we've all stepped on the bathroom scale. We all see how much we weigh good, bad, and different. It is what it is. And now the team together is looking at that. And now we're going to use that as grist for the mill for the rest of what I like to do. So that's phase one. Phase two is where we identify the area of improvement. What you really want to do, if you can swing it, and your metrics should give you some pretty strong signposts, is you want to find the thing that is your biggest constraint. In other words, it's, it's the thing that sort of controls the speed or experience of the whole production line, for lack of a better word, right? It's, it's that one piece of the puzzle that has limited capacity compared to the rest of it. Like, we just can't seem to get items moving through this particular stage or event or whatever as quickly as we can the other areas, right? If you can identify that, that one super bottleneck, the main bottleneck, the main constraint, and you can improve that, you're going to get exponential benefit from that. If you improve anything else in your system but that, 
you might get a little bit of improvement, but not that much. You really want to hit the thing that has the biggest bang for the buck. So for instance, if QA is just overloaded, right? Like they just can't get through stuff fast enough. It doesn't really do my team good to figure out something that makes coding faster, right? Because coding faster is not going to change our delivery rate. It's not going to change our throughput until we address that QA issue, right? So looking for that is very important. The metrics will help you find that. People's discussions and stories will help you find that. But sometimes that constraint might not be super clear, or you may not want to spend this particular period working on the constraint for some other reason, maybe for morale reasons, right? Like you just want to do something that just makes people happier, even if it doesn't necessarily affect your throughput. And so in some form or fashion, I want my team to come to an agreement on the area where we could get our biggest bang for the buck. Maybe we need to brainstorm in order to come up with that. Maybe the metrics make it very clear. In my experience, for 80% of our retrospectives, it's pretty clear what the what the big constraint is. But, uh, but sometimes it's not, and we just might have people brainstorm a little bit, just write them up on the board. Well, hey, we could improve the way this is done. Now, I'm not looking for solutions at this point. I'm looking to identify the area. If we could improve this area or this thing or this practice or, or this stage of the flow or whatever, what would give us the biggest bang for our investment, right? What would we get the most out of? That's what I'm trying to do in stage two. If it comes down to it, you can even vote. That's kind of a last case, kind of a last resort for me is to vote on it. Usually, like I said, the main impact is pretty clear. And if it isn't, even if there's some people who are holding out for another area, it's usually pretty easy to negotiate well. Could we work on area A this time around? And then we can bring up area B for the next retrospective. And people are usually just totally fine with that. But this kind of gets everyone engaged. Everyone can kind of talk about what they think the biggest constraint is and why we can bring the metrics into it. And it's, it's a very objective team focused discussion. I'm not going around asking everybody like what things they like and what things they don't like. We're, we're actually looking at our collective situation as a team and figuring out, you know what, if we could improve the handoff from the business analyst to the developers, I, I really think we could get a lot of benefit from that because we're really slowing things down there, or that's a really, you know, traumatic event <laughs> for a lot of people or whatever. And so, so phase two is identifying the constraint or identifying the area we're going to improve. And then finally, phase three is we're going to pick an experiment to address that area, okay? And this is where we start brainstorming ideas. What could we do to improve this area? You know, do we change the things that we're putting on our work item cards? Do we put more data in there? Do we come up with policy because maybe we don't have sufficient policies around that? Do we adjust our whip limits? Do we change the way a certain event happens? If we're a scrum team, is the sprint length what we want it to be? You know, we, we can come up with all kinds of experiments. Now, we're not going to do all of them. What we want to do ultimately is pick one. So kind of like we were looking in phase two for where the biggest bang for our buck would be in terms of the area of improvement. Now we're looking for the biggest bang for our buck in terms of what experiment do we think is really going to move the needle, right? Is really going to have a dramatic impact or the most dramatic impact on this particular area. And ideally, we want to get one. If the thing we decide on is really small, or maybe it's something just for one person to do, we might pick a second one as well. But, but we don't want to do like five. And we sure don't want to come out of our retrospectives with like a task list for everyone with their individual assignments. Because if you're a, if you're a coder, you know this, right? Like you have a bug in your software and you change five things and now the software works. Well, 
that's great that it works now, but the problem is you, you don't know what you did that actually fixed it. It could be any one of those five things, or it might be synergy between two or three of those five things that you did. There's no way to know because you changed a bunch of things at once. Team improvements are the same way. If you change a bunch of things at once, A, it's very unlikely that all of those things will actually get done or, or get done at the level that you need them to be. B, even if they do all get done, if things improve, you don't know why they improved. If things declined, you don't know why they declined. If things hold even, you don't know why that happened either. Maybe one of the things you tried really improved things, but another thing you tried really sandbagged things and they ended up balancing out. There's no way to know if you change all of those things, right? So coming up with one single experiment, maybe two, you know, if, if the first one is super small, you know, three at the outside maybe is, is really gonna be what you, what you wanna do. At the end of your retrospective, the team should all know where they stand from a metrical perspective, they should have all had the opportunity to identify what they think their biggest constraint is, and they've all had the opportunity to brainstorm experiments, and you've picked one. So you've got a specific area you want to improve. You've got a specific thing your team is doing over the next sprint or the time between your retrospectives that they're going to do, and you're going to have metrics that you're going to be observing to see if this experiment is actually helping or not that you can talk about the next time you have a retrospective. In my personal experience, this checks all the boxes for me. It's team-oriented, it's objective, and it's very actionable, and it's something we could readily observe. And I can tell you from experience that when team members go through retrospectives like this, it really changes the game for them. It's enjoyable, it's fun, and the team really feels like they are united in the effort to change their lives for the better, as opposed to just kind of having an unfocused festival of, of people complaining about things. And when developers know, hey, we're going to come out of this meeting with the cool new thing that we're all going to try, you've got automatic buy-in because the team came up with it. They identified the issue. They identified the experiment, and they're going to be working to make their own lives better. So now they have a vested interest in being in your retrospective. Now they have a personal stake in coming to your retrospective and participating because they have a very clear line between this event and the quality of their lives. It's super clear, and it's even measurable and quantifiable. So that's what I like to do in retrospectives. Again, you may have your own spice or flavor to that, or you may want to do the events in there differently. That's totally fine. You, you need to find what's going to work for your team. But I do highly encourage you that if you're struggling with retrospectives to be productive or, or people are just not interested in it or it gets cut a lot or it seems more cumbersome than anything else, then try something that gets your whole team participating collectively as opposed to each individual individually and have them at the end of the retrospective, when you leave, have one actionable thing for the team to change that you can talk about. And how you choose to get there is up to you. I shared with you how I like to do it, but those are the principles behind it. And, and I really think you'll find that it will transform the value that you get out of those retrospectives and the level of involvement that you get. That's how I like to do retrospectives. It's a subject that's near and dear to my heart because if, if your retrospectives are working, then you're going to be fine. Everything else is going to fall into place. All your other questions and agile issues will eventually get ironed out if you have a nice, solid self-improvement mechanism. Thanks for listening to our first episode of Agile Bytes. We know that oftentimes Agile Bytes, but we don't think it necessarily has to. And I hope you like the episode about retrospectives that work. I, I really hope that that makes a difference for you and really changes the quality of your retrospectives. I'd love to hear about it. If you are watching or listening to this on a platform where you can comment, 
leave us a comment. Tell us about how this affected your retrospectives or if you have other ideas about things you like to do that have worked well for you. If you're interested in what we'll be doing for the next episode, so am I, but I promise you it will be great. So you should definitely tune in. If you are on a platform where you can subscribe or follow, please do that. You can also hop over to integrityinspired.com. That's the company that I own is Integrity Inspired. And at integrityinspired.com, you can reach out to us directly. You can also sign up to your email list. So if you want to talk further about some of the stuff that, that you heard about today, I'd be happy to do that. Well, thanks a lot for coming. I know that you could have been listening to a podcast on crypto or weird moments in world history. So I appreciate you coming to listen to us. And I look forward to talking to you next time.